Amen. You may be seated. Well, the baptism of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 3 really marked the, uh, really marked the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And uh, immediately after his baptism, he was led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness. And while in the wilderness, he was able to overcome a series of temptations that Satan had presented to him. And the fact that he had actually overcame those temptations demonstrated to us that Jesus didn't come to do his will, but rather came to do the will of the Father who had sent him. And so what we find here is in the word of God is that we know that God's will for his son was to fulfill a very specific ministry. Now, when we think of the ministry of Jesus, our thoughts usually go towards his miracles and for good reason. Uh, You read through the gospels, all four of them, and they're just saturated with accounts of Jesus healing people and providing for people. And that's a wonderful thing. In fact, you get to the gospel of John and his whole book is basically written based on a series of miracles which go from lesser to greater. And at the very end of all of that in John chapter 21, after those miracles are presented, he says, He says, Jesus had done many other things that I had recorded here. And he says, in fact, he says, if all of them had been written down in books in the world, I imagine that all the books in the world could not contain what Jesus Christ had done. And so that is definitely a huge emphasis on miracles and nobody's denying that he performed them. But what Luke, I think, is trying to do is to let us know that there's another aspect of Jesus' ministry and it was a vital part of his ministry and that was his preaching ministry. And that's what Luke begins to lay out for us here in verses 14 through 30. And we see actually two things. We see, first of all, what Jesus or how Jesus preached. And then at the end, we see what Jesus preached. And my intent was to preach that whole section as one pericope this morning for you this morning. And then I began to realize we got the Lord's Supper and I couldn't get past 14 and 15. And now I better split this up in two. So next week, we'll be looking at what Jesus preached. This week, we want to look at how Jesus preached. And here's the answer to how Jesus preached. He preached in the power of of the Holy Spirit. He preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to pick up in verse 14, just the two verses. Let's look at this. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now I want you to notice Luke's continued emphasis upon the Holy Spirit and his role in the life of Jesus Christ. We've seen this from chapter one. We saw that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. We see that he was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He overcame Satan's temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we shouldn't be surprised that Luke now in chapter 4 begins to talk about his ministry, his preaching ministry, and he adds in basically he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why is the emphasis of the Holy Spirit in and on the life of Jesus Christ so vital I think, I mean, because you sit there and go, why does he need the Holy Spirit working in him when he himself is God? I think the answer of that is found in Philippians chapter two. When you look at Philippians chapter two, the Bible says that Jesus humbled himself, speaking about the fact that he became a human being. He became a man. And in order to do that, he willfully, of his own cognition, he, he, he took and he set aside some of those divine attributes in order for him to become fully man. Uh, so, so when he became fully man, he was no longer omnipresent. He was no longer omnipotent. He was no longer omniscient. He didn't know everything. He limited himself. So he set those aside. Now, I didn't say he gave them up. 
If he had given up those attributes of God, he would cease to be God. He only set them aside and refused to use them for his own advantage. And so by setting them aside, it allowed him to be fully God and now fully man, which means that Jesus, when he came in the flesh, was limited like you and I experienced some of the same limitations. He, he didn't within himself uh, have the ability to do what God had called him to do and commanded him to do, to obey in every way and to be able to fulfill the ministry that God had set out with him. Within his own flesh, he did not have the power. So where would he get the power to do it? He would do it in complete dependence upon the Holy Spirit that would work in him and work through him. Now, if this is true for Jesus, the son of the living God, then certainly it's even more true for us who are the children of God and for us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we must recognize that the only way for us to do what God has commanded us to do is to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And just as Luke here laid out the role of the Holy Spirit in both Jesus' birth and in his life, we'll see it through the end of the book, and so too he wants us to know, and the Word wants us to know, that the Holy Spirit has the same role, a similar role that is, in our new birth and within our Christian life. He is constantly active throughout all of it. And so let me give you just kind of a couple examples. When you were born again, this is usually how we tell our testimonies. Well, I was convicted of sin, and then somebody told me about Jesus, and then I believed in Jesus, and then my life changed, I cleaned up my life, and this is how I've been living my life. And that's all good, and that's fine. That's from our perspective. But the truth of the matter is, all of those things that happened within salvation was due to the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, nobody gets saved without first being convicted of sin. Would you agree? Nobody calls out for a savior if they don't know that they have to be saved. Well, when did you become convicted of sin? You might be able to remember that time, but it's not because you led yourself there. It's because the Holy Spirit left you there to, for you and I to be able to identify that we have sinned against a holy God. And that's a hopeless place to be. But then you heard the good news, according to the Bible and the Holy Spirit using that, that brought you about to understand that Jesus is the solution. You didn't come to that by just recognizing that for yourself. Uh, let me give you a couple examples. Uh, let me back up just for a moment. For example, when it conviction of sin, Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit when he said in John 16, 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then when we identify that Jesus was the Savior, again, it wasn't because we logically got there. It's because the Holy Spirit taught us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And then, of course, came the moment that we were born again, that we were saved. And we didn't save ourselves. God saved us. Christ saved us. And to say it that way is right. But how did Jesus Christ have to actually save us? through the power of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 5 says this, he saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that actually brought the regenerative work of salvation that turned you from an old person to a new person. I'm not speaking of age, okay? Uh, but, but that's what happened. He was working in the midst of this. And it's this whole, uh, this whole, uh, this, this very Holy Spirit 
who saved us and regenerated us, that then secures our salvation. Let me read this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Paul, speaking of the Holy Spirit, said, with whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. So for we who read the scriptures and believe them for what they say, we believe that once God saves you, which is a complete act of him, and he gives you that eternal life by his own grace, then we can't lose it because we had a bad day or a bad month or a bad year. That's not because it was a gift of God. And how are we secure in our salvation? Because he promises the Holy Spirit to seal it and to hold us. Amen? And so not only does he seal it and secure our salvation, notice this in Romans chapter six, or 8, verse 16, he provides us with confidence that we are in fact in faith in Christ, that we are born again. Romans eight sixteen, the spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. So get this, let's make sure we're on the same page. Just as the Holy Spirit was a part of Jesus' birth and his life, so too is he a part of every aspect of our spiritual birth and our spiritual growth in Jesus Christ. Now, with all that said, here's what I've been trying to emphasize. I want you to understand this. This was all the Holy Spirit working. This, he's active in salvation. Guess who's passive? You and I. Did you and I convict ourselves? No. Did, did you and I come and, and, and figure out that Jesus Christ was the Messiah by our own intellect? Absolutely not. It was from the teaching of the Holy Spirit that made that come alive in our hearts. Did we regenerate ourselves? Absolutely not. Did we secure our salvation and are we? No. Did the Holy Spirit affirm to us that we were in Christ? Yes, all the role of the Holy Spirit. He's active, we're passive. But here's the question. Does this mean that we do nothing in relationship to our relationship with the Holy Spirit? To the rest of our life, do we just sit back and do nothing? The whole let go and let God, the Bible says not at all. The Bible says, in fact, that we are supposed to be active in the relationship with God. How do we do that? Note this, we must recognize that we are to be active in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. How? Let me give you two ways. First, we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, or let me read it for you. Paul says, and do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we discussed just two weeks ago what it meant to be uh, baptized in the Spirit. Do all of you remember this? Just do this, and then repent later. Okay, all right? And so, uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit. What we meant was this, is each person, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, at the moment of their salvation, is baptized in the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It happens only one time in the life of every believer. But then the Bible teaches throughout the New Testament in the pastoral epistles that even though there was one baptism, there are many fillings of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? We have to be clear because we talk about this and it seems to be out here and we need to try to make it more concrete. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? In essence, it means that we are controlled by the Spirit of God. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Where do we get that? Well, again, looking back at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, he says, do not do this, but do this. Do not be drunk with wine. In other words, don't be under the control of alcohol. And we understand that when somebody drinks too much alcohol, they are no longer themselves, but they are being controlled by that. That's why people literally say, hey, he's under the influence of alcohol. Why? Because the person changes the way that they speak, changes the way that they walk, changes the way that they act. Uh, they are being controlled by another substance. The, the whole point of the passage is to say, don't be controlled by anything else. 
Be controlled alone by the power of the Holy Spirit that's dwelling within you. You be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so that's his, his emphasis here. And by the way, when people see that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, they will always take notice that there is something different about us. It will always be evident that, we're, that we are actually filled with the Spirit. And, and you say, well, how is that? Well, even here in the text, you'll know, he says in a report about him speaking about Jesus, when out through all the surrounding country. It's only after he's filled with the Spirit and he's walking the Spirit and he's preaching the Spirit that everybody around takes notice that this guy is not some ordinary guy, that there's something different going on here. Why? Because he's empowered with a completely different type of power that you and I don't have within our flesh. That's what becomes noticeable. So when people are filled with the Spirit of God, guess what? People can tell through their speech. They can tell through their action. They could, tell, they could tell through what they're affectionate about, what they love, and even what they hate. Now, we see this not only in the life of Christ, we, saw, we see it also in Acts 4. We see the apostles there when they were trying to look after a group of, of widows. Uh, he told this particular group of people, here's what you need to do. You need to set some men aside uh, to be able to look after them. And here's their qualifications. He, sa- he says in, um, in, excuse me, in Acts chapter 4, they need to be men of, a, of good reputation full of the spirit and wisdom. Did you hear that? Good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. How do they have good reputations? Because they do what God is calling them to do. Why? Because they are are ultimately men of wisdom. But how does all that come together? Because they're full of the Holy Spirit. When they're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's gonna be evidenced through the wisdom that they have to live life unto God and the life in which they live itself. And Acts chapter 11 and verse 24 we, we are told by Luke that Barnabas, the son of encouragement, that he's described this way, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He's a good man and he submits himself to God in faith. Why? One reason and one reason only, because he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what we find here is that you and I are commanded by God once we are baptized by the Holy Spirit for the rest of our life, there should be many fillings of the Holy Spirit, which means we must constantly be in a state of being controlled and influenced by the Holy Spirit and not influenced by anything else. So this is what it means to be filled. But then when we begin to actually act, live out with the Holy Spirit's working in us, that means that we are to walk by the Spirit. We are commanded to walk by the Spirit of God. That's the practical implications of what people are actually seeing when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul says it this way, Galatians chapter six or five, verses 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. How many recognize that? That for you and I, there's this war going on each and every day. There's still a part of my old flesh that wants to do what is wrong. Are you there? But there is who I truly am that sits there and goes, but I don't want to do that. But yet I kind of want to do that. You sound like you're messed up in the head, doesn't it? And and you feel tormented and you're being pulled between the flesh and the spirit as well. And he says, look, if you're going to overcome that temptation in the same way that Christ did, then what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to walk in the spirit, not walk in the flesh at all. So if we have any case to do, just like Christ, look, Jesus Christ could not do what the Father asked him to do in this flesh apart from full dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Guess what? You and I have no possibility 
of doing what God has called us to do without being continually filled and refilled and refilled by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this leads us. Are we, are we good there so far? All right. You're like, yeah, so I know all this. I know. And so, so here, here's the other thing. Here's where the logical thing comes because I think so far we all sit there and go, yeah, brother, you just got to walk by the Spirit. Quit walking by the flesh. And people sit back and they're going, oh, okay, I do that. And then it's so abstract. We're like, how do I get my arms around a spirit? How are we supposed to understand this? So let me, let me do this. I think the next question is this. We must be, recognize what it takes to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do what God has called us to do, then it's probably pretty important we understand how to be filled, amen? And so there's two parts of that. And, and I've just put them together. There's more to it than this, but I think it's at least this. First, we must confess every sin up to date. Confess every sin up to date. Sin severs relationships between God and man. This is the biggest problem in the world in which we live. I know a lot of stuff is going around all around us and everybody's trying to come up with a cure and they're suggesting what the cure is. I'm telling you the biggest problem that man is facing is at the top is that all of us are saturated with sin. Sin is the problem because it separates us in relation to God. So when we repent, we place our faith in Jesus Christ, that relationship that was broken by sin is now restored by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Is this getting you excited? I know, one of you, I know, thank you, I'll take it. And so, so, so it's just the things about God excite us. And so, so we're excited about, so what we find is, is that we are reconciled with him. So that relationship, because you were now baptized into the body of Christ, you are forever in the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit adopts you as sons of God and daughters of God. You are always a child of God from here on out. Isn't that amazing? You're always a child of God and nothing can ultimately change that, not even you. Now that is if you were truly born again, we get that, right? And so if you're truly born again, he's never gonna let you go. We talked about the power of the Holy Spirit to seal us to the day of redemption. But how many of you know that even though our position with God can never change, our fellowship with him can? Even when I say that, there are some who are here and you're sitting there going, yep. I know that there have been times, times not long ago that my fellowship with God was sweet and wonderful and was at the center of all that I did and all that I thought. But the truth is I am not experiencing that same fellowship now. And the question is, what impedes the fellowship between us and God? Sin that is between us and God. So uh, let me give you this kind of illustration. Maybe it will kind of wrap it up for you. So at our house, and I don't wanna embarrass my oldest son, and so I'll, I'll save him, but me and, and the ladies of the house, which is a lot of them uh, with five daughters, and what we like to be able to do is we like to be able to kind of get down after dinner, all right? That's basically for as long, even when my oldest ones were really small, we would get and, and get the CD collection. No, not eight tracks, not records, CDs. Okay, and so we'd get CDs and we'd play them still. The younger people were like, CDs, really? And uh, we're like, yes. So we'd, we'd, we'd pick a song out and, and it was really a pain because I'd have to play one song and then take it out and play another song on it. Well, now we have Alexa, amen? And so now all I have to do is call out to Alexa and say, hey, Alexa, play the greatest dance hits of the 1990s. And so all of a sudden, there we are, me and my children, we are 
rolling down the road with vanilla ice in our 5.0, right? So we're driving down and all of us, we're getting down and we're bugging, no videotaping, please. And so, so we've got all that going on and we just have a great time. Now, inevitably, because there's so many of us, somebody's gonna blow it. Somebody's gonna do something where they're gonna disobey. Someone's getting punched, okay? Let me just say that. Somebody's gonna cry, something's gonna happen. Not talking about the oldest ones, Anyway, and so, so what happens is you have to take them, and what do you do? Go to your room. Because here's me personally. I don't want to see whining. I don't want to hear whining. I don't want to talk about it. So as a pastor, I hold the same thing. Anyway, just, just kind of let you know. I don't like to see it. I don't like to hear it. And so, so what happens is uh, send them in the room, say, you're going to stay back here. And when you're ready to join the party, you let me know when you're ready to join the dance part. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you'll hear this little sad voice. Daddy. Yes. Daddy. Alexa, turn down to volume five. And then at that moment, what do we do? It goes down and then you hear this. Ah. Okay, so I go, got girls, I'll be right back. I'll go back to the little one. And I'll sit there and go, what's wrong? Nobody knows anymore. <laughs> okay, you're gonna have to be a little more specific than that. I, I, I need more than that. Well, do you know that you did wrong? Do you know what that's called? No, it's called sin. It's sin against God. And this is why we keep telling you about Jesus. This is why we need him. Yes, I get it. And you know that you sin against God, but you also sin against daddy. And so you need to, if you know you did what is wrong, you need to confess that and you need to ask for forgiveness. I'm sorry. Okay. And, and you know, are you, are you, are you going to do it again? No. So there's repentance involved in that. And then what happens is you finally know when you get them, when they break and they hug you, right? They, they break and they hug you and you sit there. And so what do we say at that point? Well, you know, you're a really little scumbag, aren't you? For doing everything that you've ultimately done. You disgust me, you and all of your sin. You're terrible and you can go out there, but you have to wear the sin badge, the giant sin badge for everybody to know what you did. No, we don't do that. You know what we say? Come on, let's go join the party. And we go and we begin to dance and we just begin to enjoy. And now that child, we begin to enjoy each other's fellowship. But the reason for the discipline is because I love the child and I can't continue to allow them to go around being a little creep, right? And so we're telling them to be able to, to repent of sin, to be able to come back, let the relationship be restored. And this is our picture with a loving God. He never stops loving us. He never stops caring. We're, all, he's, we're always the children of God and all of that. But our sin, every level of sin, breaks and tarnishes the fellowship that we have with him. And so the, the whole point was to confess every sin up to date. So what I mean by that is, and let, well, let me, let me ask you this question. When was the last time you just had a really good heartfelt, just time of confessing of sin? And I don't mean at the end of the night, which we pray these ridiculous prayers, Lord, if there be any way that I failed you in the day, please forgive me. Eh, don't pray that because there is in every way that you have failed him in sin. But when's the time that we actually confessed our sin, named that sin, just came before him? It's not just this big blanket thing is that this afternoon, I had thoughts that were not honoring to you, God. I lost my cool and I said things that were not cool to you. And here's what ends up happening. Confessing every sin up to day, and not that you have to remember every single one for him to restore you, but what we do is there's something in that. And then the closer we become with God and the more filled with the Holy Spirit that we are, our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and to sin goes through the roof. Because now it doesn't take us a week or a month or six months to finally repent over sin that's been stewing in our heart. 
at the very moment and the second that we begin to think or to do or to act in a way that's disobedient with him when we're filled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit very quickly quickens our heart and we recognize that what we do went wrong and we immediately we step back in faith and we begin to say, oh God, forgive me for what I've done, which allows you and I to have the fellowship that God would want for us. So it's about confessing every sin up to date, but there's a second part of this, and that is to be, that that is also to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me explain what I mean by that, because we live in a a world that has all different kinds of belief about the Holy Spirit. Here's what I believe the Bible teaches, that the Bible doesn't teach that by leading by the Holy Spirit, I don't mean some obscure, weird feeling, pressure, move that you feel, something that you drink. That's not, what I, that's not what I mean is the most clear understanding of what the word of God says. I have had friends, Christian friends, that think the only time the Holy Spirit is working is when people do weird things. Like when they bark like a dog, that's the move of the Holy Spirit. They cluck like a chicken, that's gotta be the Holy Spirit. And I always remind brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is relieving to me, that the Holy Spirit is not weird. The Holy Spirit's not weird. The Holy Spirit, what he's trying to do is he's leading us not to be a dog, but to be more like the person of Jesus Christ. So the evidence of that leading of the Holy Spirit is always going to be more Christ-likeness. That's how we know that the Holy Spirit is truly working within us. And so what do I mean by submitting to the Holy Spirit then? Well, John 14, 26, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit that he would send when he left. He said these things, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So this is how the Holy Spirit leads us. He leads us through the word of God. Not that every moment of every day we have the Bible open, but what he does is the things that you and I have learned as being disciples of Jesus Christ, the things that we have, have, have memorized and put into heart, God brings those, the Holy Spirit leads us back to the truths of that word to be able to direct us back and to be able to lead us. So when we're sitting and we're dealing with temptation, what does the Holy Spirit do? He brings scripture just as he did with Christ in chapter three. He brings it back to the remembrance so that we have the power to overcome sin and temptation. When we're feeling down and we need to be encouraged, what do we do? We are reminded of the things that we learn within the word of God and he quickens us and our hearts begin to become encouraged once again. When we're trying to figure out what direction to go and wisdom of God, we often pray, God, lead me, give me wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the application of Scripture, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Just keep listening to me. I've got a lot of education. And so what happens is he leads us to be able to do those things by bringing and quickening those things to our minds and hearts. And let me just say this about that. Do you see how imperative it is for you and I to be people of the book, to be people of the word? to know it and to be able to memorize it and to, to have it within us. There, there, there's something that we need to understand here. And that is, the last thing we must understand is that we must recognize that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Another passage of scripture talks about quenching the Holy Spirit, but in essence, I think the two mean pretty much the same thing. The mean is grief is literally to cause sorrow to. And so here's way, two ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Number one, two ways, remove yourself from it. What is it? The word of God. If you want to grieve the Holy Spirit, don't read it. Don't study it. 
Don't go to a church that preaches it. Don't be in a small group where you discuss it and you work it out. Don't do that. Just stay away from it. Now, here's the sad thing. I'm saying this to, I'm preaching to the choir in essence, aren't I? You're like, no, I wish we had a choir. No, I'm, uh, remember, no whining. I don't listen to that. Okay, so here's the idea. Let's get back focused. So what we're doing is I'm preaching to a group of people who are actually in the house of God and they're wanting to be able to hear the word of God. But I'm just telling you, and this is not from some blanket of guilt or blanket of hardship or trying to give you something else in your, um, that's weighing on you, something else you have to do. All I'm saying is I am shocked and burdened by how many believers, professing believers, do not spend any time in a daily time with God in his word. They may go all week and not crack open the word of God at all. No, and I'm not even talking about memorizing. I'm just talking about reading and studying at all. You are grieving the Holy Spirit and keeping a filling of the Holy Spirit in you if you are separating yourself from God's word because the Holy Spirit is using the word of God to lead you to repentance and to be able to get you to submit to his will. And apart from the word of God, we don't know what that is. So we can just simply, what is it says here is we can, we can just simply remove ourselves from it. But number two, we can listen, but we don't obey. This is the warning of James, right? Faith without works is dead. It says, but be doers of the word and not, not, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. How many believers do we have and how oftentimes have we been guilty of sitting there and hearing message after message or reading something or hearing something, or reading a blog or even reading the word of God and going, hey, I'm good because I listened. And yet the Holy Spirit, it's grieving the Holy Spirit to then even greater to know what to do is right and choose for yourself not to be able to ultimately do it. It grieves the Holy Spirit because his ministry is to lead you to Christ-likeness. And so these are tars. So let me sum this up for you right before you take the Lord's Supper. Follow this line of thinking for a minute. Jesus Christ was in fact the Son of God. When he came to this earth, he set apart certain aspects of his divinity so that he might contain, continue to be fully God, but also fully man and the weaknesses of man experiencing those things. And Jesus Christ then decides that the only way for him to be able to do all that the Father has called him to do is to do it by being filled with the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to work in him and through him. Then we, as children of God, come and Jesus says, I'm gonna call you out on ministry, but before you ever go, wait, wait, because I'm gonna send a comforter. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit because you cannot live out the will of God in your life apart from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. It cannot be done. And the problem facing so many of us is we're doing so much but it's not in the power of God. It's not in the power of God because there's sin that is marring our fellowship. There's no time really reflecting along the word, allowing the, the Holy Spirit to be able to drive the word within your heart. There is continual lack and refusal of submitting to what God is already exposed to you. People sit there and go, hey, whenever somebody comes, I don't feel like God's teaching me anything. 
two pro- three problems. Either one, you're in sin and you're being blinded from the truth. Number two, number two, um, you're not in the word of God. Uh, those are the two big things. And then of, of course, at the end, you're not even obedient to what God has already revealed to you. Why is he gonna reveal to you anymore? Is there something in your life that he's already told you a million times and you keep quenching the Holy Spirit and his presence and his move and his, and his, and his leading in your heart because you refuse to obey what he's calling you to do. So where does that lead us? It leads us here at the Lord's Supper. So Lord's Supper, we're coming and we're recognizing what Jesus Christ has done for us. But what we need to do before that time is we need to make sure that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Look, what's amazing about this particular passage to me is when he says here that Jesus was filled with the Spirit, what we find then in verse 15, or after that, the report went out, but look at verse 15. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. The outcome of you and I being filled with the Spirit and preaching in his name and living in his name and doing ministry in his name is that all glorify the person of Jesus Christ. You and I have gotta be filled. In your life, there has to be, young people listen to me clearly. You have to at a very young age, whether your parents are doing it or not, I'm sorry, but you need to be able to set a time aside for a spiritual discipline of prayer and reading the word of God. If you are frustrated in not being able to do what God has called you to do, if you're frustrated because you don't sense him working in your life, not teaching you, I'd encourage you to spend that time, confess every sin up to date and submit your way to God in every way. You will be filled and you will sense the power of God to do what he has required you and called you to do. Is there grace whenever we stumble? Absolutely. Do I think that it's possible for you and I to be filled and the Holy Spirit at every moment of every day? No, it's probably not going to happen. That's why they said that there's many fillings. It's a process that we keep coming back and keep coming back. So this morning, before we take it to the Lord's Supper, let's do this. Let's begin by some heart confession to God. If we believe that the Holy Spirit leads us and teaches us, then just for a moment, as Nick comes and he begins to sing and play, then at that particular moment, what we're going to do is we're gonna say, Holy Spirit, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. And sit for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life and begin to confess to him. Say, God, here's where I've blown it. This is what I've done wrong. Forgive me. All God is doing is saying, hey, join the dance. You're my child, I wanna secure you of that, but this is no way that I've, ever, that, that I've ever wanted your and my relationship to be able to go join the dance. And when we look at that, say, God, I'm not submitting in this area of my life, let me submit. And we can go out of here and work out of here in a body that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that what we say and what we do in the ministries that we take part in, that Jesus Christ is glorified in it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I pray at this particular moment, Lord, that you would, or Holy Spirit, that you would move in this place. You would see, we would see our need for the Holy Spirit, God, and we would do what is necessary to be filled. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be faithful to repent. Help us to be faithful to submit. God, you have your way with us. God, if there be anyone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, we've talked a lot about the gospel and salvation. If there anybody in here that that's not a reality for, God, I wanna talk with them. I wanna share with them. God, but just bring them to faith. We love you. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. Let's stand. And I'm gonna be down here for a couple minutes. If you wanna pray, I'm here to pray with you. If you wanna know more about Christ, come. Whatever you have to do, just do business with the Lord.